Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back. Oh, this should be a podcast. You weren't welcoming me back. You were welcoming, like, listeners. I'm welcoming us back. Oh, because, well, thank you. And aren't you proud of us? Like and you're how quickly, welcome, too. How quickly we turn this around? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's also our special Halloween episode. Yes, That's it what, is. That was our... Right. Our impetus to get it together. It is the the um, the thirtieth of October, so we're Hollow's Eve Eve. Yes. Yeah, I can feel it. Can you feel it? No. It's super super <laughs> grim this year. <laughs> we have our sad little bag of candy that no oh child God. would ever. That is the saddest bag. I of candy. know, isn't it? I it mean, looks, you, you said it you looks were... like something to be left over after Halloween. You said you were going to eat candy that neither one of us would like so that we wouldn't eat it. And I thought, well, that's going to be a tough call. And then I saw that bag and I'm like, oh, yeah, there's nothing in here that I want. It's just like nerds. I know. All right, you're going to get letters from nerd. Nerds. Well, we don't even know if we'll have any trick-or-treaters. That's true. Yeah, I mean... Uh, and also, if we get them, we've been trying to figure out, like, what to do with them. Like, we can't, like, hand them candy. Do we put the bowl I, on the porch you know, and let them grab it? <laughs> if my kids were little, I, I wouldn't take them this year. I mean, but, you know. You know, for the, all, all the listeners who have been living in a cave uh, the last 12 months, <laughs> we're talking about the pandemic and how pandemics really, really buzz the high of any holiday, what whatever that holiday may be. Well, especially now <laughs> that we're like where we would normally be planning our Thanksgiving. Did I say buzz the high? I, th- I think I meant bum the high, not buzz the high. That would be good. Kill your the high bu- buzz. Kill the buzz. It would kill the buzz. That's what you're going yeah. for. Yeah, I said buzzed the high. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds like something that you do in like Jamaica. It flew right over my head. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been kind of a bummer that we can't you know plan thanksgiving or even christmas or but then again you know like my mother always said there's people starving in armenia (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry just picturing your mother is what is funny about that i'm sorry starving people are not funny um so but i hope we're gonna watch some scary tv this weekend oh yeah 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 well we're we're gonna talk a little bit about scary things tonight yep aren't we yeah we are that's the plan yeah can, all right can i I'm, just mention real i just quick? got a chill <laughs> i just wanted to mention the ghost adventures that i walk because that seems to be a common theme in our um speaking of uh, scary stuff right the opening <laughs> two-hour episode of uh the exotic zoo was it the season uh well, I think it officially starts Premier? next week, but this was sort of like the special Halloween episode. Oh, I see. It was so amazingly good. I was just blown. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Well, for any uh, Tiger, what was it, Tiger King? Uh-huh. Tiger King. Any Tiger King fan. Yeah, all the this people. This is required viewing. All the people are there. <laughs> it's it's amazing. And they get really good, like, very uh, solid EVPs. Uh, there's like, you know, uh, cadaver dogs. There's a big thunderstorm. The police come. <laughs> There's just so much good stuff. <laughs> anyway, so I'm, hi- I, I I'm mean, highly, I, I'm highly recommending. I it. watched it and I loved it, but I will say that uh, Joe Tiger King, uh, Joe Exotic, Joe Exotic, is way scarier than any evil spirit to me. At one point right, when the, when the one guy... We're going to get into that a little bit. Yeah, I don't want to give anything away, so I'm not yeah. going to talk about all the details, all the great things that I heard. But anyway, right. watch it. And, um, all right, any other great shows we want to talk about? Unsolved Mysteries is back on, so I'm excited about that. You're having like <laughs> a like a renaissance of true crime and scary... I am. ...disturbing murder shows. <laughs> Uh, what are we drinking? Well, I'm having a, a beer that was made, it's the final reserve of the year 2020. It seems really apropos for some reason to, to drink, be drinking on our show. It's a bourbon barrel aged stout with vanilla and chai spices. Called? Um, Dragon's Milk Reserve. Nice. Yeah. Very appropriate. It's 11% alcohol too, so by the end of this podcast I'll be like, schnockered. 
We didn't talk about your drink. Go go for it. Not that it's earth shattering. I'm having a whiskey sour. Kind of my Friday night thing, and it's that Friday your, night. You know, you're 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 putting your feet up. You're taking your shoes off. You're stretching out. My baby's making me a whiskey sour. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tell us about what you're going to read us. Well, it's a story called the Beaumont Prophecy, and it was uh, originally published in this wonderful little. Um, compendium little anthology called twilight tales presents spooks and it's edited by tina l jens a wonderful woman who was the first person in chicago when i moved here in 1980 something um who helped me kind of meet other writers and we've we, she formed a little sort of salon at this place called um, the Red Lion in Chicago. Do you remember that place? Of course. I mean, maybe it's still there. Actually, I should probably know that, but I, I think it, it was remodeled or moved or something. But anyway, there used to be this great English pub, and we, we would all get together, all the writers in town who were kind of misfits, and, and you know some were you know published writers, others were you know fledgling writers, and we'd all get together, and we'd eat like fish and chips and drink stout and we'd read scary stories in the upstairs of this bar and um someone had committed suicide up there Ooh. in the in the bathroom so it was always you know a little spooky up there it is still there i just looked up it's temporarily closed probably for a pandemic is it in the purposes. same place is it in lincoln park yeah yeah Anyway, that was a lovely place. It was across the street from where John Dillinger was killed, just for all you non-Chicago oh, yes, people. the Biograph right. Theater. Anyway, but um, this, this is a Halloween scary story um, for the campfire, but it's also experimental because I want to always have subtext in my horror stories and, and ghost stories. So there's a superficial thing you're scared of. In this case, it's a haunted house, but... In, in many of my stories, I try to have something even more scarier beneath the surface that you're scared of, which is from real life. So the, you know, the superficial thing is sort of an imaginary sort of fable, you know, but deeper, there's something you're, you're, you're scared of that's, that's real and is very, you know, plausible for a human being. So, you know, listeners, uh, see if you can catch what that is. <laughs> Anyway, without further ado, this is The Beaumont Prophecy. <laughs> Buddy Ray Dothan jerked awake in room 213 of that Motel 6 out on Steel Pike Road. He was covered in sweat. The room was dark and smelled vaguely of urine and tired fabric. Buddy was not alone. Another figure huddled in the corner, buried in shadows, watching. About the only thing you could see of this second gentleman was the glowing tip of a cigarette floating like a firefly in the darkness. Buddy Ray sat there for a moment, waiting for his heart to quit thumping. The same damn nightmare he'd been having most of his wretched adult life still clinging to him like cobwebs. The Beaumont House. Once again he dreamt of that same rotten Victorian pile with its pigeon-spattered black turret rising up into the autumn sky and that same diseased orifice of a doorway gaping open and beckoning to him in the strobing nimbus of a jack-o'-lantern's light. Just like it had so many Halloweens ago when Buddy Ray Dothan was a kid and got the bejesus scared out of him by what he saw in that attic window. I warn y'all about dozing off, said the figure in the corner, leaning forward on the lazy boy. Earl Spindler's face came into partial view in the blinking neon seeping through the blinds. Earl had grown up with Buddy Ray and had also been spooked on many occasions by the Beaumont house. 
a leathery man in his late forties, Earl wore faded blue mechanics dungarees pocked with grease. His gaunt, lined face was etched with a lifetime of disappointments and dashed dreams. Is it time yet? Earl looked at his watch. Just about. Pretty near midnight. Y'all ready? Yeah, I'm ready as I'm ever going to be, Buddy murmured and scooted over to the edge of the bed. He burrowed his feet into the broken-down boots, then waded through the swamp of empty beer cans. A rail-thin man with a shock of thick, greasy red hair, Buddy Ray had the stooped shoulders and tattooed arms of a career convict. He'd done two tours at Marion, one for reckless endangerment, one for assault and battery, and was currently looking at a decade of hard parole. You got them waterproof matches? Buddy gave him an annoyed nod and told him yes for the third time. Yes, he hadn't forgot the damn matches. They got their stuff together and left the room unlocked. Earl's battered four-by-four was waiting for them in the parking lot. They got in and took off in a thundercloud of exhaust fumes and gravel dust that rose and vanished like silvery ghosts in the moonlit autumn air. It took them ten minutes to find their way across their little blue-collar hometown. They rode in silence, smoking cigarettes and trying to avoid eye contact with the landmarks of their childhood. It was too painful to see the playing fields and schools and jungle gyms and dairy queens in which they had harbored their secret, desperate dreams and goals. It was too agonizing to think of all the failures that had greeted them as adults. The ruined marriages, the lost jobs, the trails of human wreckage, all because of that cursed house. All because they had defied the neighborhood legends and had gone up to that deserted doorway and had rung that broken doorbell on Halloween. You know, what, 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 if, we, what if we just drive by, you know, toss a, Molotov cocktail at the place and call it a night, you know what I mean? Earl was murmuring, gazing out at the side mirror as he steered the truck up a narrow macadam toward the Cathedral of Elms that comprised Beaumont Hill. Nope, gotta be just like we agreed, Buddy Ray told him from the shotgun seat, snapping another kitchen match with the edge of his thumbnail. He sparked his Marlboro with trembling hands. What the two friends had agreed on was that they would torch the old haunted Victorian at the stroke of 12 a.m. Torch it once and for all on Halloween night. Torch it in the same fashion they had been cursed by it so many years ago. Right on that slumped porch right after ringing that silent, broken doorbell. Butter Ray still remembered that horrible moment, like it had happened last week. Two cocky 12-year-old kids ringing that mute doorbell, then glancing up at that cracked attic window and seeing those horrible faces in the darkness behind the glass. Somehow it seemed as though the curse on Buddy Ray Dothan's life had started right at that moment. The endless string of bitter failure and disappointments. Earl yanked the stick and pulled the truck over to the curb at the edge of a weed-whiskered cul-de-sac. The engine sputtered and then died, and Earl sat there for a moment, looking down at his lap. W what if we're wrong? Buddy Ray sniffed. We ain't wrong, all right? We ain't. I got it all plotted out. Have for years. But 
What if... Damn it to hell, Earl, don't y'all remember flunking out of Rosewood Elementary? Happened one goddamn week after that Halloween. Same story with me. My daddy up and split that very Christmas. Been downhill ever since. It's that house. I told you a million times it's that house. The place has to go. Silence gripped the interior for a moment. Finally, Earl flicked his cigarette through the open vent, then nodded to himself. Let's get it done, then. They carried two gallons of non-leaded gas in plastic Sky Chief tanks, one for each of them, up the twisty, narrow walkway that bisected a grove of overgrown elms. A moment later, the top of the Beaumont turret came into view up ahead of the boys, peering out above the dark skeletal limbs of diseased trees. Goose flesh poured down Buddy Ray's back and arms. Earl was just as unnerved by the sight of it, his lips pursed nervously as they approached. Here were two men who had done hard time, fought turf wars with street gangs, robbed gas stations, reduced to trembling children. The empty house sat at the top of that scabrous hillock like a desiccated king, its roof pitches sagging, its windows either boarded or riddled with cracks, its ancient gray clapboards ravaged with graffiti. Animals had had their cruel way with it over the years, from the frosting of bird dung along the dormers to the banquet of turds along the porch planks. In the darkness, it radiated desolation, like a great monolithic stain across the shadows of the woods. The hell is that? Earl said as they climbed the creaking porch steps, the fear constricting his voice. Some wise-ass neighborhood kid, probably earlier that week, must have come up there and put the jack-o'-lantern on the porch near the door. The shriveled pumpkin had a grotesque face carved into it, serpentine eyes and a, a, a rictus of a grin that was sinking into itself. What, what are you doing? Earl hissed at Buddy Ray. What the hell are you doing? Buddy Ray was kneeling down next to the pumpkin, removing its moldering lid. He found a candle inside its festering, fragrant husk. Buddy Ray dug for another match, snapped the little red sulfur tip, and ignited the wick. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Come on! What, what, what are you doing? Come on! Earl was worrying off his tank's lid, the fluid sloshing noisily. Let's get it over with, man! Let's, let's, let's get it over with and get the hell out of here! They doused the porch, the threshold, the door, the shutters, the broken front window. There was an awkward moment when they were done, the two of them gazing dumbly at each other, wondering which one should do the honors. Buddy Ray opened the box of wooden matches, and they each plucked one from the tiny carton. Neither man saw the rotten pumpkin behind them extruding hot wax, the tear of oily accelerant pooling in its eye, then tracking down the mottled surface of the face and plopping in the puddle of gas on the porch step like a bad penny. Come on! Let's, let's do it! Buddy reached up to the stained panel beside the door jam and pressed the old cracked mother-of-pearl doorbell. It made no sound. They looked at each other one more time, then tossed their ceremonial matches onto the fuel-damp clapboards of the house and watched the flames flutter, then leap up around the lip of the door. It sounded like a low, obscene whisper. It was almost sensual to watch. 
Buddy Ray felt the hairs on his arms stiffen, felt the heat on his forehead. Neither man noticed the pumpkin catching fire behind them, the tiny flames licking up the side of the gourd, then hopping into the air like a luminous bird taking flight. They were too busy watching the house catch fire, the orange glow reflecting off their baleful faces. Neither man noticed the fire coalescing behind them, billowing above the pumpkin, metamorphosing into the shape of a giant, ghostly figure. Neither saw the radiant orange arms reaching out for them, the luminous jaws opening. Neither noticed the creature made of fire until it was too late. Buddy Ray whirled around and opened his mouth to scream, but nothing came out. Welcome home, said the glowing phantom. The fire devoured both men, their screams swallowed by the maelstrom. They staggered and slammed against the rotten facade as the fire swallowed them, gobbled them, chewed them up until there was nothing left but a roaring tidal wave of white-hot pain. Then the blackness engulfed them both, and everything went away. They awoke some time later. The pain was gone. The noise was gone. They were inside the house. At least it felt as though they were inside the house. It was hard to tell. It was so dark. Eyes adjusting to the gloom, they realized they were lying in a vestibule at the base of a narrow staircase. The muffled sounds of voices, sirens, cars driving up, doors slamming, came through the walls from somewhere nearby. The air smelled of mold and swamp rot. The two men managed to rise to their feet and then feel their way in the pitch darkness along the wall to the steps. Lacking any other way out, they did the next best thing. They climbed the steps. The ancient risers did not creak. Their footsteps were completely silent. They found their way through a door. The attic was filled with ancient moldering trunks and antique furniture shrouded with stained sheets. Earl went over to the tiny attic window and looked down. Oh, Jesus, no. Oh, no. God, no. Buddy Ray hurried over, crouched next to Earl, and gazed through the dormer portal down at the front of the Beaumont house. An EMT unit was parked next to the hook and ladder truck, its red chaser lights flickering off the fog bank of noxious smoke from the dying embers of the dwindling fire. Buddy Ray's heart turned to ice, his soul constricting, his whole pathetic existence distilled down to this terrible moment of clarity, gaping down at his own scorched body, being loaded onto a gurney next to Earl's, then stowed into the rear of the morgue wagon. But worse than that, far worse, was the realization that he had seen all this before, that he had been shown this by the house. Time and time again, through the years, one horrible moment replayed endlessly in nightmares when little ten-year-old Buddy Ray Dothan had gazed up at that decrepit, cracked attic window some thirty-odd Halloweens ago and had seen his own adult face up there next to Earl's, his own tragic future 
written across the owlish, charred expressions of two hideously disfigured ghosts. Well, that was amazing. So um, when did you Thank write you. that? Um, like 2004, something like that, 2003. Um, you know, I've written, you know, I used to write stories for Halloween almost every year. And also, you know, just a shout out to my um, dear friends, Mike Stein and Judy Stein and Eric Stein and um, all the bad boys who used to have a amazing, um, I actually, I shouldn't call it amazing cause I came up with it, but <laughs> <laughs> we used to have an amazing ritual every Halloween and we would, we would bury a bottle of port. We tried to get the best bottle of port we could afford <laughs> and we would, we would all write our names on it and bury it. And then we would dig up one right next to it that was buried the year before. And we would toast all those who we loved or admired who had passed away during the 12 months in the interim, you know, the previous year. And we did it for many years. I mean, probably 20 years or so we did it. But we kind of lost track of, you know, doing it. And we haven't done it for a long time. Yeah, I did it with you twice. I think I was there at Eric's once, and then right. we did one here with the boys. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I, I would like to raise a, a toast to two people who passed away in the last 12 months in honor of Halloween. and John Prine, who died of COVID, uh, was a just horrible loss. And it, it, I really felt it for some reason more than any of the other many people who had died, um, except for one that I felt even more than that, and that was my father. Um, he didn't die of COVID though. It was almost a blessing that he, he, he didn't, he wasn't around for this co you know, pandemic. He would have hated it. Right. And you wouldn't yeah. have been able to be with him at the end in February. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, I can make a toast to, to our local hero, Hecky Powell. To Hecky Powell. Definitely. Who I photographed for the campaign, for the mass campaign, and then he, like, three... He was a three, saint, three, and he made the best barbecue sauce I've ever had. <laughs> three weeks later, <laughs> I he told me he was gone. It was the craziest thing ever, but yeah, yeah. he was a great man. Yeah. Yeah. And you took a beautiful picture of him with the, with the mask on. I did. Um, Very proud yeah. of that. What a strange era we're living in. I know. <laughs> it's, it's now officially become an era. Right. You know, it's not it's not just, you know, what a strange few months, I hope. Right. <laughs> you know, now the few months is going on a year. Yeah, and with no real right. light no at end the end of the tunnel. <laughs> right. yeah. The trend well, is going the wrong direction. <laughs> well, um, well, then getting to our topic, which is kind of connected to the whole thing, but I was looking up, like, what the top five fears are. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Okay. Yeah. Well, they are, and actually there's six of them, but I think this was an emergency edition. But um, So fear of heights, fear of bugs, snakes, and spiders. That's all in one. Closed spaces, which I totally get. Yeah, right. Flying, which right. you get. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, dark, darkness, uh -huh. which I very much am terrified of. And then the last addendum is getting a disease, wow. <laughs> which I think we can all uh, appreciate. And I'm, I'm now of... petrified. I don't think I can go on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, what are you most it's scared quite of? A... <laughs> what are you most scared of? It's quite a list. I know. Um, well, you know, I, I have to say... Uh, of me getting a disease. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Um, fear is fluid. Um, you can quote me on that. <laughs> it, it, one fear will turn into something else sometimes. For I remember when um, our youngest, Bill, who's now 20, <laughs> but I remember when he was a little kid, he had a, he had a debilitating fear of all things... Halloween. 
and all things scary. You know, he was he was really he was he was very sensitive to it. You couldn't take him into a Jewel or a Walgreens, uh, a, a grocery store or a drugstore because he was afraid he'd see like a paper monster hanging or you know so he really had a you know he was tormented by it um but i told him once i was too when i was a kid your age but sometimes sometimes it flips and you start loving it <laughs> loving all things monster and spooks and, and you know um you know, scary stuff, things that go bump in the night. You just, you just can't get enough of it. And the happy ending to this story is, and the reason I say fear is fluid, is Bill uh, said to me one day, Hey, Dad, the flip happened. And I'm like, I had no idea what he was talking about. He goes, I like scary stuff now. <laughs> yeah. So, and I had a flip happen with flying. I learned to love flying with the help of you. Yep. Uh, the Walking Dead. Yep. <laughs> and Xanax and Bloody Marys. <laughs> Those, perfect combination. Oh my God. A perfect combination. I, re I recommend that combination for any hardship in life. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I... I I, love I mean, to... really, it's just the Bloody Mary and the Xanax. I mean, I help. But... <laughs> and we flew around all the time because of The Walking Dead. But the, really, the thing that ceased your fear was Bloody Mary, Xanax. Oh, and making playlists. That's what you would do the whole time you're on a plane. Right. Make a playlist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people just can't turn off their imagination. I think that's where fear comes from. You know... The, the the old expression, you know, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Well, yeah, that's kind of obvious. Fear is like a, a circular thinking. The more afraid you are, the more afraid you get. It's not easy to break out of that, you Can know. You, I, I'll read you what I found today. Fear is the response to the immediate stimuli, the empty feeling in your gut, the racing of your heart, your palms sweating, nervousness, uh, your brain responding in a pre-programmed way to a very specific threat. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's, it, I, I, that, that's fascinating because it's like an ancient genetic, neolithic thing that's going on. We're, we, when we get afraid, our bodies start to, you know, get ready to hide from the woolly mammoth that could eat us, you know, or, or whatever, to crawl into the cave and everything. That's why when you go to see a scary movie, you know, your body doesn't know it's make-believe. Right. You can tell people, yeah, but it's make-believe. It's, don't worry, that's just, that's just Cairo syrup and red food coloring. <laughs> your body doesn't right. understand that, you know. So, I mean... I've worked in that field all my life. I've tried to scare people all my life because I, I was, you know, scared by my own shadow. Um, but it was therapeutic for me. I mean, I'm scared of, you know, the biggies, the big ones that I'm scared. I'm, what I'm truly scared of is death and death being the end. Just ending. To me, that's the scariest thing about it. And I, I get a almost Buddhist lift and, and good feeling when I think it, it's never the end. Everything is always moving, even your death, regardless of what really happens in the afterlife, as we've talked about many times, you know, you're going to go back to the earth and become something else. You know, so nothing, nothing ever ends. You know, we're just tourists in the universe. We're, we're just moving through one stage into another. But death is terrifying to me, you know? And also harm coming to your children. That's another huge, serious fear that I have. And you, nobody, you know, it's something you learn when you have kids is that you can love someone with such pure, just, you know, intense love and you can also be more horrified and terrified and petrified than you ever dreamed more scared than you ever dreamed 
you know, somebody was just saying how the feeling of losing a kid in a shopping mall, that's, it's a feeling that only a parent knows and it's, it's paralyzing. It's, it's the scariest thing you can imagine. A, a thousand horror films can't scare you like that. And it's happened to every parent. <laughs> Go ahead. How about you? Is this when you want to ask me what scares me? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. When I say, go ahead, how about you? I mean, what scares you? <laughs> <laughs> the question was so long ago. Um, well, I have... Well, it's interesting because I was thinking about today, like, all the things that are sort of the typical. So, like, I'm kind of... I'm, I'm, I would say I have a fear of heights, but I've had to just deal with it and face it on many occasions. You know, I've gone skydiving Says before. Says the lady who climbed up on the... <laughs> cantilever shelf of a huge building to right. shoot thousands of students right but the but but doing that like i mean spider even, woman right but the first time i did it when i well first of all when i had to climb to the top of that building first it was under construction on the inside so walking the guy was like showing us like how to get to the doorway and i my we were going over like a little bridge like a little you know makeshift bridge that was like four stories up over like a huge atrium and my legs were shaking. I like I've never felt like I, wow. I didn't even think I could keep standing. Like your central nervous system just said, "Right, this is not good. My legs, we don't just, like this. My legs <laughs> just go nuts, like on the inside, you know." And so I made it, and I got there, and then they just had like these two by fours, and I kind of they were gonna like put a harness on me, and then I was started panicking like afterwards. Um, but then it turned out they put like they put a little bit more of a solid thing when I actually had to do it. But when I had to do it, it I was by myself. It was windy as hell. It was so windy. And I was by myself. My legs were shaking. I had to lean over the edge to get the photo of the students for the, this is the freshman class photo at Northwestern. And like now it's now it's better. I mean, unfortunately I didn't get to do it this year, but the past couple of years that I've done it, I'm much more and now it's built out and it's beautiful and I'm much more comfortable with it but I do get that fear I mean it goes back to when I we go visit my grandma in Florida and I look over the balcony and look down at the pool that was like 15 stories below <laughs> so anyway, but that so that's one of them um then how how can I can I just jump in and ask you a question how how are you such a sanguine groovy cool calm flyer a flying doesn't bother me at all yeah it's never bothered well because that's I'm, a height that's right, but almost I'm, but, indescribable. But I'm, but I'm not like you're talking but I'm thirty thousand feet. But you know. I'm not outside of the plane. I'm in the thing, and I and I'm not looking like straight down at, you know. I, I, you can divorce yourself from being in a little right. metal tube in the upper stratosphere. Right. Right. You can you can like see that's the thing I can't do. I I think I admire people. I I admire you for many reasons. That's one of the things I admire about you you have will to control your thoughts like you could you in fact it's funny because when we decided we were going to do on uh, you know a halloween show on what scares you i was thinking this will be interesting because nothing scares jill <laughs> that's not true well you know i mean i did kind of think that but i there are things that i mean like darkness okay and when i say darkness i don't mean like you know, coming downstairs in the middle of the night. I mean, like, pitch black darkness. That scares me really bad. And I've had several experiences where I've just been like, nope, I'm not going, I can't do it, you know. Uh, walking into the woods at night one time, and it was just pitch black. Right. And I was like, no, one time walking into Lake Michigan at nighttime, and it was like, nope, I'm, I went in, like, two feet, and I'm like, no, nope, I'm not going any further because it was just pitch black. So that stuff scares me. And my And I was thinking about, and I think I've told you this, but when I was in fifth grade and we went on the ski trip in Michigan and, um, uh, when we arrived, it was nighttime, our bus pulled up and it was pitch black mm -hmm. to the right of like the parking lot in the building. And it seemed to me that it was like this huge, like woods, like forest of woods. And so then we went in and we went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and it was, a, it was like the lake. Wow. So it was, I was looking at nothing that wow. when I thought I was looking at trees and that freaked me out so bad. I was, I mean, I don't know if scared is the right word, but I was just like, whoa, like just feeling so, I don't know. 
that freaked me out. Well, I, I you know, it, <clears throat> and I do, and I do get claustrophobic seriously. The darkness issue is, you know, sometimes fascinating for city people who go to the mountains. There's, right. a, there's no, there's no light. Right. There's no light. So if you walk out of your cabin and you're in the mountains and you're a city person, you stop and you go, it's, it's as dark as the, you know, a tomb. Right. I'm, I'm like underground. It's right. so dark. Well, now it's, that you, it's now, uh, hard to deal with for well, a city person. Now that you mention it, I feel like when I go camping, I'm not as scared of it. I'm like, cause I'm more like eased into it, I guess. And, yeah. Um, but if you, well, another uh, remedy is to somehow, you know, move to a place where you can see the sky. Yeah. Because then you go, wow, it's not dark. The sky is a right. riot of stars. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember first reading, I don't know who the author was, but they said the sky was a riot of stars. I thought that was so beautiful, that word, that word choice. That is beautiful. It's a riot of stars. And then, then see, there's always like a flip side to all fear. You know what I mean? There's a flip side to it. Like, yes, the dark in the wilderness, especially for a city person, is terrifying. But if you look up for a city person, it's a religious experience. Right. <laughs> it's so beautiful. You know what I mean? So there's all, there's always like a flip side of, of, of fears, you know? Right. Well, like when I was on, I mean, when it just, anything that makes you just recognize how small we yeah. are, you yeah. know? So an, another, this wasn't darkness, but I remember when I went skiing in Canada in Banff and we got to the top of the mountain off the chairlift and it was like literally 360 just I snow mountaintops around me and I just felt like, Wow, this is so, it was, it was stunning. It was so beautiful. I would have needed, uh, depends. <laughs> you never would have made it on the chairlift. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the chairlift would freak me out, but I would just like bear through it, you know, I would right. just kind of deal with it. And... Yeah, I mean, I get, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I had this fear. I don't think I've ever... I definitely have never uh, talked about this publicly, but when I was a kid, I had this really serious fear. Like nowadays, probably a parent with a child with this fear would probably send the child to a therapist. But I dealt with it because this was the 60s. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they didn't send their kids to therapists in the 60s. <laughs> they just said, get over it! Um... But I was deathly afraid that I was going to lose my sanity. I was going to lose my mind. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would I would lay in bed at night, going, you know, I'm, I guess it was. I, it might have been my imagination was so powerful when I was a kid that it, it 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 terrified me and made me think that I was losing my mind because I would think about these crazy, out there thoughts just. I used to think what if I if I believed something so hard it would come true. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't control my thought. I still to this day can't control my thoughts, but I've turned it in I've monetized it. You've turned it into books. I've, I've turned it into a career. <laughs> <laughs> a lesson for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was funny because when you said that this was about the story was about a haunted house I had a very vivid memory of my dad taking us to uh, a house in Cincinnati that was like the haunted house to go to and he it was I think it was the only time I ever went there but it was so scary and it was so like walking through like a dark wait it was it, it was a, it was like a, a, a thing you paid to go to or it was an actual haunted house Oh, it was, you paid to go to it. Oh, it I was mean, like a, it, right. you know, like it was set, like, a, like an attraction. Right, like they set it all up. But it was it was an old house, though, and they just, like, turned it into a haunted house. But I remember so many, like, creepy things. A lot of it was, like, walking into a dark hallway, and then all of a sudden the floor became, like, this jello-y thing, and, like, <laughs> hands grabbing at it, and I was so terrified. I'm like, I'm never going to a haunted house again. Which is funny because now I'm obsessed with ghost adventures and I want to... Right. You had right. the flip. 
I did have a flip. The flip. You know what? I think it's the flip. It's all connected. It's all connected because I think that being scared is a sign you're truly alive. Yeah. And it's it's a good feeling for many people. Not not to be so scared that you're, you know, having, you know, heart palpitations and, and you know, right. can't swallow or something, but you know, feel that's why people go on roller coasters. You know, I've always thought that like roller coasters are for people who who have average imaginations. I'm not putting them down. <laughs> I was going to say, say I love roller I'm, coasters. I'm not putting the, down the people, but they they're people who have Average, normal imaginations. They can control their imaginations. Okay? But it's fun for them. I'm not saying this is you, but maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, now I, I'm wondering. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. People, if, you know, people with normal imaginations who can control their imaginations. I don't know if that's the majority of people walking the earth. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. I have no idea. But uh, the roller coaster enables them to go I'm gonna fucking die oh my god it, it's like you they can't go there in their normal imagination because they can control it like the rest of of the weirdos like myself we're constantly thinking we're gonna die so going on a roller coaster is a double whammy we don't need that okay right. we're constantly thinking about dying why why do we need more of that I you remember know? going on the we went to Six Flags and Joey and all his friends were going on the big roller coasters but I hung out with you and Bill and we were like on the I log on the Winnie flume, the Pooh the log flume <laughs> right. and I was just like the oh baby my God. coaster and then finally at the end I'm like I have to we go went on, on the peanuts coaster, coaster. <laughs> I was just like I just wanted to go out with Joey and his right. friends and go on the big roller coaster. Right. But then I got Bill to go with me, and he was, that was like Bill's and my first right. little bonding experience together. Because <laughs> he was scared. That's but... awesome. Yeah. But well, yeah. No, I love that. I mean, thing. you know, I, I, don't, I hope you don't take offense at saying, you know, you have a normal imagination or, you know, an, you know, a normal, normal is the word I think I'm going for, normal imagination. Yeah. You well, know, I don't know. I may push back on that a little bit, but whatever. Well, well, do you think you have, you know, more I mean, of a... I, mean, when, when, I think when you're saying normal imagination, you're talking about, like, getting on a roller coaster and thinking of all the ways that the, the it could, like, get, you know, broken and it could fall off the rails and, like, all that kind of stuff. What Rather than the excitement of, like, okay, we're ready to go, we're right. in the car, like, yeah. So that's... You, I so mean, that, so the, clarifying, the clarifying normal that. imagination is you can sit down on an airplane um, and settle into your seat and get your little, you know, magazines and your little snacks and everything all ready. And you're hearing, <laughs> <laughs> you're hearing noises and shit and tr plane trembles for a second. <laughs> then it starts backing out and everything. And you're, you're not even noticing it. You're just... You're getting your snacks. You're getting, you know, your your your, you know, trail mix all ready to go. You know, and the people with these uncontrolled imaginations, like myself, um, popping Xanax, and we're we're like hearing over. everything. We're hearing every every micro sound. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. A okay. normal imagination can turn itself off. Can be like, you know, have you ever seen the scene in? <laughs> Have you ever seen the scene in what was the movie with John Cusack where he holds the Say Anything? Say Anything. Okay, the end of Say Anything. I right. think it's a brilliant end. Right. I think on Cameron Crowe is like on one the of the most underrated directors. Yeah. Uh, he's he's one of the greats. So the ending to that film was one of the greatest endings of any film I've ever seen. And it was John Cusack trying to calm down this woman with an uncontrolled imagination. She'd never flown before. He's he's like that's normal. That's okay. That that's normal. That bump, that's normal. That he keeps he keeps right. saying to her that's and he, and and then I think the way the film ends is he you know he goes when it dings, we're home free. We're 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 cruising, right? And she's waiting for the fucking ding, and she's like, <laughs> "Where's the ding? There's no ding. The ding hasn't you know." And finally, bing, and it cuts to black. Yeah, you know, that great, was great, beautiful, lovely, upbeat ending. Yeah, that was that was beautiful. <laughs> so you know, I'm, I, well, I'm sorry. Go, go on. Go on. No, you. No, you. No, you go. No, you go. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I was going was... to switch topics, so why don't you, if you're going to say something related, then keep Well, going. I was just going to say, you know, another thing that I'm deathly afraid of right now is, this is going to sound weird, but maybe people of this era will understand what I'm talking about. I'm deathly afraid of people who believe crazy shit. Yes. Agreed. That, that more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And I don't think I have to elaborate on that. Yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. When I see more and more people, things going mainstream that are just like, They're just what? What? <laughs> right. what? What is wrong with people? Oh, my God. Right. Anyway. Right. Um, okay, go ahead. You can change the subject. Well, I just, I thought we had a grocery story you wanted to share. <laughs> we, we, story. we kind of lost the grocery story thing that I thought was going to be so fun, and then we never did it again. Well, okay, I'll t- just really briefly. I, I go to this great grocery store called Valley. Check it out. It's on Dempster in Evanston, Illinois. If you're in the Illinois area, if you're in the Evanston area, Preface. check out Valley Produce. It's a great grocery store. And, you know, uh, there's this one checkout line that I try to get because it's the best checkout. She's the fastest. She's 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 fun. She's funny. And and the and the um the bagger, the whatever the bagger. I don't know what the name for the person who puts the shit in the bags. The grocery bagger, yeah. Grocery bagger. Um he's funny and and you know, they're just really fun people. So, and, and I, we should also add that you are like probably customer number one. Like they probably have <laughs> pictures of you in the in the break room. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I I now only dress up for for the grocery store. That, that's that's the, what the pandemic means to me. I dress up for the. <laughs> I put on my my vest. I had a new vest that I bought. I ordered, and I got this beautiful new vest. It's like this tweed, you know, vest with and 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 I and I'm wearing my tweed vest and my, you know, my my. Tell us more about the vest. Is it tweed? Oh my God! <laughs> Does it have a belt? Um, <laughs> and I'm and uh, you know I'm wearing my uh, scarf. My my. Uh, goldenrod yellow scarf that I bought in Paris and you know I'm wearing my 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 Parisian shoes <laughs> you know and I'm just like really dressed in the nines I don't know why <laughs> but you know I like to get dressed up I like to play this dress is your, up. this is your social this is my scene. thing you know this when I have I, I literally when I have something really hard to write I get kind of dressed up <laughs> It's like I'm going to a, you know, some kind of like formal, you know, I got to, I got to write this today. I got to write this section in this book. It's like really hard. So I'll put on like my vest. So these are your people. So, yeah. So I'm at the checkout and I'm thinking I'm looking pretty good. And, and previously they had looked at me, they used to say, um, are you a musician? And, and then they started saying to me, did you used to be a musician? (laughs) So today they look at me and the guy and the and the funny you know checkout or the bagger looks at me and they look at each other and he looks back at me and he goes, "Hey, professor." <laughs> you did look a little professorial today when you walked out. I know. I thought it was so sexy and cool and and dangerous and badass. <laughs> I look like, yes. Turn to page fourteen of your workbook. My, I mean, I, I mean, no one ever asked me if I'm a musician, <laughs> but I remember that the guy, I don't remember who it was, but some guy who had to work on our, you know, water heater or something like that. And he came up and he was like, you know, are you a musician? And you were like, no, nah, well, I, you know, I play a little harmonica. <laughs> and he's like, oh no, I saw, I saw the drum set downstairs in the basement. <laughs> Bill's drum kit down there. That was so funny. Because you're all like, well, yeah, I'm funny. It's fantastic. Yes. Um, but Dan Hollihan, I spoke with him, and he was telling me that his version of the gig you did with him, and I forget the name of the song, Easy Way or something, um, but he said that your version of it with him on stage was like the best version, and he's going to try to get it recorded now, doing it your way, because he's done it other ways with other people. But, oh, cool! Yeah, he complimented That's you. That's awesome. Yeah, little shout out, Hollow. <laughs> <laughs>
so uh yeah anything else that you want to chat about um you know i i i think this is i mean i just want to end on a on a positive mostly because you have influenced me over the years <laughs> you're not going to make this about me you're you're what you're grateful for about me it <laughs> please don't <laughs> I'm just going to warn you about this ahead of time. But really... You know what? I, I can always do that if you want me to. No, I, I, mean, you, I, I, I don't I'm want you to do it. I'm always willing to do that. No, I was just going to say, you know, um, I, I just keep thinking of what my mom always used to say to me, and this too shall pass. You yeah. know, we've lost like 230,000 people. 230,000 people have died this year. Yeah, it's terrifying. From COVID. It's just horrifying, and we're talking about fear, and, you know, as someone who works in the field of, you know, fun fear, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not working in the field of, you know, really serious, you know, f terror. I mean, I'm, I work in, you know, popcorn fear. You know, my fear is popcorn fear. I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. Because, I, like I said earlier, I think it helps, you know, makes it sort of makes you feel alive when you have a, a fun kind of scare. You know, the jump scares, this, the latest, you know, convention in horror movies, you know, where something jumps out at you or something's in the mirror behind you. Right. And attacks and stuff it, and everything. But it, it, it gives you a little, ooh, feels like a, almost like a defibrillator. It right. just makes you feel alive and it's exciting and right. people love it and that's great and that's what I do that's that's my job you know but this is uh really you know um horrible and sad and heartbreaking and you know it's not just the John Prines it's just everybody it's people's parents people's you know aunts uncles Grandparents. Husbands, wives, <clears throat> grandparents, yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, in, in the spirit of Halloween, um, I've always thought that, uh, you know, like I said, we, you know, our ritual for Halloween has been regeneration. You know, we bury a new bottle of wine, we dig up the year old bottle of wine and toast the new, you know, you know, current people who have passed. And then we bury you know, that bottle of wine for next year's, and it's just sort of like a harvest and a turn, 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 there is a season, you know, and, you know, I just, I want to say, you know, I feel like this is, it, it's like a biblical thing, there's a season for everything. This is the season to just, like, stay home and wait it out I'll so that we, less people die. I'll bet you, you know? when this is all over, though, I'll bet you there'll be a lot of babies. <laughs> what are you saying exactly? Well, you know. You got what? you got something in mind? Or... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was a lighter note. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for another. Uh, this should be a podcast. Yeah. No, this was good. And I'm so proud of us that we got it done. It was like three weeks. I turn around, I think. Oh, yeah? Like we're still... So this is our, like, our shortest interval. Yes. By, by far. exciting. Maybe we're getting shorter intervals. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quote us on that. Next one will be, like, in 2021. No, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll do, we'll do better than that. Right. Um, all right, then. We owe it to our fans. Well, everybody have a wonderful... All three of them. <laughs> yeah. We love all three of you. Amy, Ashley, and my mom. <laughs> and Todd and Dolly. Uh, all right. Well, happy Halloween and... Um... Yeah. Happy holiday. All right. All right. Love, love you. Love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The music for This Should Be a Podcast is Close Shave by The Riptones. Like everything good, it's on Spotify.